Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin podcast. My name is Matt Brusky, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action, and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. We have our full panel with us, which includes Jennifer Epps Addison, Executive Director at Wisconsin Jobs Now. Jen joins us by phone. Jen. Good morning, everyone. Well, good morning, Jen. It's good to have you back. And we have Jorna Taylor. Jorna is a political consultant here in Wisconsin. Jorna. Morning. And as always, Robert Craig, Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Robert. Uh, good morning, everyone. So we have the calm Robert. He will be ratcheting up as we go here. So we are going to have a couple of uh, special guests, and they're going to be on later in the program. And that includes uh, some folks from Voces de la Frontera to talk about uh, immigration, and in particular, um, the, the confrontation or discussion that occurred in Iowa, and it, I think many of our listeners know, but we'll talk more about that later in the show. We're also going to have Dave Summerscales from SEIU Local 1 come on to talk a little bit more, uh, follow-up, I should say, on what's been going on with the Milwaukee janitors and security workers. We had uh, one of the security workers on earlier on this podcast this year, so we'll get an update from Dave Summerscales. But before we do that, we're going to start with a couple of uh, big news stories that seem to never go away here in Wisconsin. And the first one is our complete attack on sort of what we would describe as open government, accountability and transparency. Last week, the podcast, we were able to announce the the Supreme Court verdict that came out. And well, geez, it didn't take long. And we had uh, Governor Walker and Republicans calling for shutting down Gab. And uh, we also then found out just recently, I believe yesterday, that Representative Voss was the one who asked for the, or started to draft the uh, open records, the evisceration of the open records laws that were passed in joint finance and then uh, removed. So very interested, want to get the panel's reaction uh, to, to a lot of what's been going on this week around open government and, and of course the news on uh, Voss. I don't know, Jen, do you want to get us started? I would too. I mean, I think that one, it doesn't surprise anybody that Voss is behind this, but I also think that we would be naive to believe that this wasn't a broader strategy that was, you know, developed and determined by uh, folks who are more politically astute than uh, Voss is. I think at the end of the day, um, you know, the, the, the conservatives are going along with this attack on transparency and open government because they keep getting caught with their hand in the cookie jar, right? So... Don't like that people are calling you out because you're giving away a bunch of taxpayer money with no strings attached. Uh, let's just make the process less transparent. Don't like that you violate election laws and uh, you you have a nonpartisan agency made of both former Democratic and Republican uh, judges. That's okay. Let's just get rid of the agency. Uh, I think this is the way that um, politics is playing in Walker's Wisconsin, and I think it's a really um, – you know, it's an eye-opener for folks across the state who may align with conservative values to see uh, how the quote-unquote conservatives in our state are really trampling over this idea of opening transparent government that we all hold so dear. I certainly couldn't agree with you more, Jen. Uh, I think there are two things that are most striking to me that come out of the comments made by spokespeople for both Speaker Voss and uh, Governor Walker. And it's this hypocrisy and this really just blatant double talk that 
they're engaging in. Um, you know, Voss's spokeswoman has said that really it was about returning legislative powers that were ceded to the executive branch. So somehow the legislature in our state, <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't even say this without laughing, is somehow less powerful right now than the governor is, um, which I find hard to believe. But then on the flip side, they end up passing saying that this legislation was written in conjunction with the governor's office. So I'm, I'm concerned about how that was taking power back from the executive branch. The other thing that is absolutely ridiculous and startling that they would even believe their, their own words as they say it is that one of Walker's spokespeople has said that this was actually the intent of this you know, violating open records laws in Wisconsin and ridding the state of any sort of open dialogue was to encourage a more deliberative process mm. with state agencies Very so that, you know, they could have really great conversations behind closed doors where the governor would tell them what to do and there'd be no sort of recourse for the agency who just got screwed, frankly. Okay, well, we're <laughs> Robert's, Robert's winding a up here. Pregnant pause. <laughs> No, I'm, I'm speechless over this. So we need to get to kind of a deeper level on this, I think, because I actually think that leaders like Scott Walker, Robin Voss, think they're justified in what they're doing. And that has really important implications. So they actually, first, it's kind of a motivated reasoning kind of effect here, where they feel like any time they are found to be wrong in any way, that is, say, violating a campaign finance law, or something embarrassing comes out, that it's unfair that they're being unfairly targeted and therefore they want to go after any mechanism that opens them to scrutiny. And so there, this really is fundamentally at odds with the whole concept of open government, the Wisconsin idea, government that's accountable for the people, etc. And you see the doublespeak, like on the government accountability board, Walker wants to eliminate it so he can have an agency that's accountable to the people. So what would be more accountable to the people? A partisan agency controlled by the governor that never investigated the governor's own wrongdoing? Uh, I mean, that's what we have with the state Supreme Court now that regulates itself. We know the results. It didn't even recuse itself, members of the Supreme Court, who were put in office by the people who, who, were be, who actually were part of the whole John Doe investigation. So just saying this does, isn't enough, obviously, because there is this incredible tendency to rationalize anything that is in their interest, uh, not only among leaders like, like Walker and Voss, but among their, a lot of their, their, their followers, quite frankly. And so literally, if we go and, and do right-wing talk radio right now, which we're not currently listening to, I'm sure when this topic comes up, we'll hear all sorts of creative reasons why the government accountability board is liberally dominated and was on a witch hunt against Governor Walker, and we'll hear all about how open records requests lead to these gotyas. Now, it is interesting, of course, that we have a lot more support from the fourth estate with the open records law now that it's been challenged because it's their bacon. So it's nice, it's nice to see that scrutiny applied to things, uh, other parts of government. Uh, but nonetheless, this should be a, a warning sign as to where we would go. If we remain under this kind of control uh, for the next decade or two, Wisconsin will not even resemble the state that was built up over the last hundred years. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that. We mentioned that the last time that this really kind of, when this broke, the reason it got repealed was we had, you know, we had reporters on vacation coming off to cover this, right? And it really got the attention of, of the media. The other thing here is, 
right? This is about basic open government, and they can spin all they want. The public is not buying this. What was quoted in the uh, journal, uh, uh, state journal, in terms of the public response and the emails back into Fitzgerald's office are illuminating, right? Republicans, uh, uh, a gentleman, Kent Krause from Sturgeon Bay. I'm 77 years old and a strong conservative. This is the first time in my life that my anger has driven me to personally express my disappointment at an elected official. Congratulations. And other people saying that this is not only disturbing at me on many levels, but a slap in the face of our founding fathers, right? So this is cutting through and I think it's very important to our listeners that we need to keep talking about this because in some ways the way the um, uprising may not have translated or spoke to certain people, these kinds of acts that go straight at sort of the transparency of government clearly are cutting through. The Republicans did pull this stuff back quickly, and it's critical now that we tie the attack on Gab and all these other things together. Yes, I, I agree, Matt, that this has certainly energized people. Energized is not the right word, but um, sparked a fire in some folks that would not have been talking about what was going on in the state budget. But let's be clear that this was once again another opportunity that Republicans and conservatives used to distract us from the real issues as well that were going on, that were passing through the state budget and the cuts to public education and the cuts to our university system and the cuts to health care and services and all and drug testing and all of these other horrible, horrible things. They once again were able to use this very divisive issue that they knew would turn people's attention away from the other god-awful things that they were doing to roll our state back to the early 1900s, late 1800s. Well, I want to add, and sort of in, in doing so, add switch the topic, but what is really connected to this is, of course, WEDEC. And there are more revelations this week about incompetence at WEDEC. And so these are connected, right, because we're talking about you know, there's been a lot, clearly a lot less accountability going on over there. Now, fortunately, we still have audits and things like that that are continuing to reveal things. And we now have the media clearly knee deep in. And so we have more reporting. Jen, I don't know if you were able to see any of the uh, the uh, stuff that has come out on WEDEC this week. Well, I think it's, it's all connected. And it's all connected to this idea that rather than the government being for everyone and being really an instrument of the people to improve and advance our society. The government is, in, in Walker's Wisconsin, is an instrument of corporate interest. It's an instrument of, of corporate profit, right? So you have, again, campaign contributors benefiting off of the taxpayer dole, um, you know, Walker's buddies getting away with uh, failing to be good stewards of public resources or to even, at the most basic level, just provide a low level of economic opportunity for the communities in which um, they are. And, you know, at the same time, you have these attacks on transparency and, and efficiency of the government. And, and, you know, I just want to go back to Jordan's point that this is really a strategy. And it's a strategy not only just to, like, you know, hopefully get rid of a law, get rid of open records or, or um, you know, get rid of transparency, but it's actually a strategy, a more, a more insidious strategy that's aimed at undermining people's belief that the government can work for them, right? Because if you undermine people's belief that the government is supposed to be working for them, then when they hear things like we're giving away, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to campaign contributors, they go, yep, that's what government does, instead of being outraged and being willing to take action on it. 
So for, for our listeners who don't know, this week in particular, we found out about Greenbox, which uh, has all sorts of problems and uh, ran into to problems with the uh, federal federal law. And still, even after that, WEDEC was still considering giving them more money. Uh, Peter Barca this week was quoted as saying, it just keeps getting worse. Never in my wildest imagination would it occur to me that WEDEC would give out loans with little or no oversight. Well, this just appears to never stop again. And we continue here at uh, Citizen Action to call for the closure of this operation. We really just think this, we've talked about this. We believe this structure is actually designed to do this. It's a flawed structure, and we really need to start pushing back against it, not only just for WEDEC, but about what kind of government agencies, how, how should government operate uh, if it's going to actually be open and accountable to the public. Well, right. It's, it's, it's a structural flaw, and until Democrats actually offer an alternative, they're essentially behind it as well. Uh, so I'm glad that uh, Representative Barca, who's been on the WEDEC board the whole time, is becoming stronger in his opposition, but we should provide an alternative, which is a fully accountable public agency. And there's, there, there's evidence came out this week from another company, uh, North American Finishing, yeah. where in essence, they were under a fraud investigation, at the, at, uh, a lawsuit, a federal lawsuit, in which had all the earmarks of fraud. And at that same time, WEDEC knew about this, was warned they never repay the loan, made the loan anyway. And guess what? The activity that was supposed to happen in Oconto County never occurred. And this is all after, remember, we keep hearing from WEDEC, it was all the early stages. Don't look at the, only look at the, after the first 15 months. This is after they supposedly cleaned everything up, uh, speaking of no accountability. And so here's the thing. With WEDEC, with open records laws, with the Government Accountability Board, uh, we kind of have a situation where we have uh, political leaders on the right who want to rule in the name of the public and believe that because they got 50% plus one that they now, anything they do is supported by the public, but don't actually believe in having their activities accountable to the public, be it their discussions and crafting legislation, be it their campaign finance activities um, uh, and, and their relations with lobbyists also uh, regulated by Gab, or be it the way they put out the most precious, well, the pr most precious resources we have, our precious dollars to create more economic opportunity and jobs. And so this goes to character. This is not about, Matt, I think a couple times is such a nice guy. Matt a couple times talked about mistakes, I think. These aren't mistakes, the, as you said on WeDeck, Matt. These are by design, and these go back to the character of the leaders who, who are doing these things. You know, one of the other things that's revealed uh, this week in uh, some of the WEDAC articles was just the hypocrisy and doublespeak that goes on by Walker and Walker people. Um, this uh, gentleman, Ray Dreger, who is a Walker appointee on the WEDAC board, um, in talking about the Green Box loan, he says, I can't defend it, I won't defend it. And then he goes on to say that he uh, credits Walker for having led the agency in the right direction and that he's been very active, he's been hands-on, but then he added that uh, as far as the administration of the agency, of course, he's not really involved at all. So, so what is it, right? He's hands-on, but he's not really involved. So more craziness goes on at WEDEC. We're going to continue to track uh, open government or the lack thereof it going on here in our state here at the podcast. So we're going to switch gears a little bit here. As we mentioned earlier in the show, we have two special guests with us. First, we have Leslie Flores, who's from Waukesha, Wisconsin. Uh, Leslie, thanks for joining us. Thank you. So Leslie is with uh, uh, Voces de la Frontera, and we also have Sam Singleton Freeman, who's an organizer with uh, Voces de la Frontera, joining us. Sam. Hi, thanks. 
Thanks for joining us. So the reason we have Sam and uh, Leslie here on the show is because there was a lot of news that broke over the weekend around Leslie and her, her father, Jose, if I'm correct. Is that right, Leslie? Yeah. So you and your father um, confronted or went up and spoke to uh, Governor Walker in his hometown of Iowa and asked him why he is breaking up your family. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about why you did this and, and what happened if any of our listeners didn't hear about it. I went to Iowa with um, Sam and my dad and my brother, and um, we asked for a picture, but um, we wanted to ask him why was he blocking DAPA, and I asked him why was he trying to separate my family, because um, I have not been affected by um, any deportation. It just has, for me, my um, grandpa passed away, and... um, about two weeks ago, and um, it's been hard for us because if my mom had my mom and my um, aunt had DAPA, they could have been there to say goodbye for the last time, so they couldn't. And now it has been affected, affecting little. And um, I know that um, many kids have been affected by deportations, and I have not. And I want to represent those kids that don't have their parents here in the U.S. Hey, Sam, for our listeners, could you let everybody know what DAPA is and how this, you know, what Leslie just explained and how it impacts her, just so folks understand what's, what's happening here? DAPA is a program, uh, it stands for a De- Deferred Action for Parents of Americans. Uh, it was announced by President Obama last November uh, after a long campaign by community organizations like BOLSAS of uh really strong direct action, uh, calling on the president to um, grant relief from deportations to the millions of undocumented people who live here. Uh, What DAPA provides is a three-year work permit, uh, protection from deportation, and a social security number to, it it, it could be as many as five million parents of U.S. citizens. Um, It's very much a stopgap. It um, it doesn't, frankly, cover as many people as it should, you know. Uh, There's plenty of people who don't have kids who, you know, don't deserve to be um, forced to leave our country. Um, but it was a real victory, uh, and Scott Walker and 25 other governors, um, uh, all but one of whom are Republican, are standing in the way of it. Um, and so the movement uh, is going to continue to take actions like the one that Leslie and her family took to try to defend our victory and secure our victory. So, so Leslie, when you went to the governor, tell us what he said and, and you know, sort of your, what your thoughts are and as to what, what uh, Governor Walker said when you and your father talked to him. We had a we practiced a lot a lot of scenarios of him being nice and what we practiced and um, nothing went well um, of what was he gonna do and so when I went to ask him for a picture with my brother and I asked him I presented myself and I asked him for a picture and um, I told him why was he blocking DAPA and um, he he said that he was governor. He was governor and he couldn't do anything. I'm, I don't know his exact words, but I think that's what he saw, what he said, and um, he ran away. Well, Leslie, I have to say, uh, I commend you on being so brave and for traveling to Iowa to take on our governor. Um, thanks to young women and young leaders like yourself there will be change that you will see in your lifetime and hopefully it will come soon. So I just, I really applaud you and your family and all of your friends for, for getting out there. So thank you. Thank you. 
I feel like I should say, uh, so Walker has joined Wisconsin to a lawsuit that is challenging this program, DAPA. And there's very long precedents. We think it's definitely going to be upheld, although it is right now, it looks like it's going to the Supreme Court. Uh, so 26 states have sued to block the implementation of this program, one of which is, is Scott Walker's Wisconsin. And I think there's a lot of people in this state who, who, who don't think that we should be, you know, trying to get in the way of keeping families together. And so that's why we went to challenge him. Yeah, I think, Leslie, what you and, and your family did, the Flores family did, is helped uh, put this on the agenda and challenge, you know, someone who is, who is very powerful and, and could be the presidential nominee. And what's telling is uh, when Walker wants to be strong and muscular and talk about what he'd do as president, such as he would cancel the Iran deal and he would uh, consider military action on the first day in office without a cabinet, without a secretary of defense, then he's all strong. But now he's, oh, I'm not president, I'm the governor, and and da-da-da-da-da-da, so now he's all in the defensive. So you mean you're running for president, so what can we expect of you? And I think it's clear, though he tried to dodge it, that what we could expect to hit from him is deporting a lot of parents of American citizens and splitting up families. And uh, so the Flores family, you, Leslie, and the rest of your family, just a tremendous job making that clearer to a lot more people. Yeah, it's such, a, it's such important leadership. I mean, here's the thing. These events are set up for there to be very little conflict or interaction, right? People are screened. If you're the wrong type of person, you end up getting removed, like Mandela Barnes did, right, by campaign staff. Um, you know, these are not set up to really, like, have an exchange on the ideas. And, and there's a disservice that's done to the American people because there are very few opportunities for real people to ask the folks who are asking for your vote and who want to run our country um, where they where they really stand on the issues. And so I think we need to see more of this. I, I just want to, again, commend um, you, Leslie, and, and Voces, and, and all of the folks who helped to make this happen. We need to see more people taking these types of actions and holding people accountable to what they say that they believe in, but also to the fact that they are asking for our votes. They're asking for us to support them, and, and we deserve the ability to actually see where they stand on things before we're asked to go and vote for them. Leslie, your dad, obviously, he's in a tough situation. He, he did an excellent job that day, too. Why don't I, Tell us a little bit more, like, what... What does your family do going forward? Uh, obviously, this is um, what you've done is is incredibly courageous. Um, but uh, t- tell us a little bit more. Um, well, my dad. Um, well, uh, what we do is stay strong because you know that there's going to be um, sometimes racist comments and um, good comments. So, um, what we do is stay strong and um, keep on going forward. Well, look, what you did was incredibly brave, and it, 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 is, it helps change the conversation. Sam, tell, us, tell, tell our listeners, you know, if they want to get involved, if they want to help in this, in this uh, fight, right, not only this specific uh, DAP, uh, DAPA situation, but just immigration reform in general um, and, and workers', workers rights, right? What, how do they get involved in VOSAs? How, how should folks be able to, if they want to help out? Sure. Well, um, we have a Facebook page, <laughs> like like everybody. Uh, um, you can always just come into our office. A lot of people do. We're at uh, the corner of Fifth and Washington, ten twenty seven South South Fifth Street here in Milwaukee. Uh, we have a website, vdlf.org. Um, yeah, that's the best way to do it. 
first of all, Leslie, thanks thanks a lot for what you did this past weekend, but also for coming on and taking the time to talk with us today. You're welcome. Thank you. So we have a second guest with us. Uh, we have Dave Summerscales. Dave is with uh, SEIU Local One. He is a lead organizer there. Dave, welcome. Uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Matt. It's good to be on the show. So, Dave, we have you back, or have you on, I should say, because we had a member of uh, your union, a security worker who's been trying to organize a union in Milwaukee, along with janitors who are in the middle of a, a, a contract negotiation. And so could you give us, give us our listeners an update on, on how these negotiations are going? First, who, who, who the janitors are and where they work, and then what the sit- latest situation is. We have uh, about 300, uh, 300 plus janitors that are members of Local One at work cleaning commercial office buildings in downtown Milwaukee. And we are in the middle of contract negotiations, um, obviously covering wages and benefits um, uh, and conditions in the workplace. So we've um, actually been in, in negotiations uh, off and on for the last two weeks. So tell us, Dave, what, what is the big sticking point and, uh, with, with what's going on with the janitors in terms of their contract negotiations? Well, it's, it's a little bit different this time around. One of the, the largest cleaning company in Milwaukee uh, that's part of this contract is called Modern Maintenance, and they actually uh, wanted to bargain separately from the other uh, five cleaning companies. So we met with them first a couple of weeks ago, and... Um, did our first action around the bargaining, actually ended up reaching what we think is a pretty fair and reasonable agreement with modern maintenance. Um, the tricky part now is sitting down with the other companies and uh, asking them to agree to the same uh, terms and conditions uh, that we negotiate with modern maintenance. So the sticking point has been primarily around creating more full-time jobs downtown. Um, you know, there's just too many of, of our cleaning jobs that, that are not full-time, and therefore folks don't qualify to get affordable health insurance if they don't have the full-time hours. So that's been one of the big issues um, in, in these negotiations with the other companies. So, Dave, I mean, I know there's all this excitement, when, when there should be, rightly so, with the fast food worker strikes and the fight for 15. In many ways, Justice for Janitors is the is, is the kind of landmark campaign to try to start to make service sector jobs real family-supporting jobs. And as you know, decades ago, uh, building owners started contracting out and then dramatically lowered the wages of, of, uh, of janitors. And uh, what had to happen is camp- public campaigns that make the workers visible and put pressure on the building owners so that you can then put pressure on these contractors. And so you, this is these are some of the few decent family supporting jobs in the service sector in Milwaukee, and it's mostly a, uh, a, a, and I think predominantly Latino workforce, I know it is. So um, so this is just another step. It's still a, an ongoing fight, right, to try to move that people into the middle class for this kind of important work. Yeah, that, that's right, Robert. In fact, I'm glad you mentioned that. This is actually the, the 25th anniversary of the first Justice for Janitors campaign. I originated in, in Los Angeles um, in 1990. And in that time, um, if you look at different cities around the country where SEIU has organized janitors, uh, wages and benefits have been raised, raised pretty dramatically over that time period. And they're the same here in Milwaukee. And uh, you're also correct in that building owners started contracting out the cleaning work um, in that time period. 
And uh, so the struggle is always to make sure that building owners in Milwaukee uh, remain part of the system and remain responsible corporate citizens. You know, there is, um, there is a system in place that works where these building owners contract with these private cleaning companies and the companies negotiate with the, with the janitors over wages and benefits. So it works, and it has worked for the past 20 years in downtown Milwaukee. Um, but if you have building owners such as BMO Harris Bank that decide they don't want to be good, responsible corporate citizens, they don't want to be a part of that system. And so what BMO Harris Bank has done in downtown Milwaukee is they have contracted out their cleaning with uh, anti-worker, low-wage union cleaning company called Clean Power. And Clean Power is paying their janitors 8 to 8.50 an hour uh, for cleaning BMO Harris Bank. So uh, the bank sort of tries to step away from it and say, that doesn't have anything to do with us, that's the cleaning company. Well, the reality is it has everything to do with the bank. Um, they could very easily contract with a responsible union cleaning contractor and be a part of trying to move Milwaukee forward and raising wages for, for uh, these workers downtown. It was interesting, Dave. We posted a picture of one of... Uh the, the workers, the janitors downtown on our Facebook page uh, in front of BMO Harris, and somebody responded on our page that she worked in the building. And when M&I left, all of the next day, all of the M&I janitors were fired and replaced with these folks. And she says she remembers that. Um, and so she immediately made the connection and, you know, talked about how bad it was. So... What if someone like her, you know, how would they get involved, like, if they wanted to help and put pressure on? What are you asking people to do to help support the janitors in their current effort? Yeah, well, there's a couple things. I think for folks that work for BMO Harris, um, I think the simplest thing for them to do would be to talk to, talk to the company, talk to the property manager, um, talk to Brad Chapin, who's the vice president of BMO Harris Bank. We've reached out to, to all of these folks and gotten no response from them. So they clearly want to duck the issue and hope that it goes away. So I think this individual can, can play a role in asking her coworkers to talk to, to the bank management and, and certainly talk to the property manager as well. Um, for folks that also want to support and help out, we're going to be doing a rally next week, next Wednesday, July 29th at uh, 12 o'clock noon. So, you know, if I come downtown, I can give our address. We're going to meet there, and then we're going to do an action uh, marching downtown um, in support of the janitor's fight. So that's enough. That's the best way to help out. What's the address, Dave? We're at 250 East Wisconsin Avenue. That's in the corner of Wisconsin and Broadway, and we'll be meeting in, in the basement of that building. Uh, a small micro note that... Uh the Citizen Action offices have the honor of uh, being cleaned by SEIU Local 1 union janitors, and uh, I have to say they do a fantastic job in a very challenging environment. <laughs> yes, very challenging. <laughs> it's well, good to hear that. So, hey, actually, uh, uh, Jen Epps, I know you're, uh, you're, you're still online. I think, you know, Robert mentioned the connection between this and, and what's been going on with fast food workers, and I know there was a major story this week about uh, in New York, that relates to the fight for 15 and supporting uh, raising the wages of, of folks doing this work. Yeah, I mean, I think, look, what it's, what's exciting about what they just laid out for us is that workers have come together 
in the midst of the, probably the most anti-worker climate we've had in, in decades and certainly an emboldened um, corporate class that knows that uh, our elected officials are not going to stand up for their constituents but instead for the corporate interests, workers are still coming together unashamed, standing up and demanding um, recognition and demanding their ability to join together collectively. And when they do that, when we take those bold risks, we're able to win. So we were able, Dave and Local One was able to secure um, a, a contract that they feel pretty good about, that they, you know, that they were able to really negotiate and come to the table with. And that's a huge victory. And in the same way, fast food workers um, who have been out in the streets demanding living wages and fair working conditions for the last two and a half years um, are also securing these victories you know, sort of city by city, place by place. And it's really exciting to sort of announce breaking news yesterday that uh, the state of New York, um, which has the same wage board process that we had in Wisconsin until the governor decided to get rid of the 104-year-old law in his budget with no debate, um, but they have that same process in New York where um, uh, the governor can establish a wage board to determine whether wages are enough to um, keep folks out of poverty. And the New York Wage Board announced yesterday that they are recommending a $15 an hour living wage for all fast food workers in the state, um, which is just a huge victory and so far from where we were just two short years ago. And I think um, it, here in Wisconsin, you know, I think it's, it's frustrating because, you know, workers did sue the governor to enact the same process, and I think – um, you know, we're poised for a victory, but but it's also heartening. Uh, we're going to be having an action. Fasted workers are going to be having an action today uh, to support and, and congratulate their comrades in New York and to let the governor know that just because he repealed the law um, that uh, provides a similar path in Wisconsin doesn't mean they're going to stop fighting. So... Dave, we want to thank you for coming on, and we'll, we want to encourage our listeners to get out July 29th at noon and support the janitors, because these fights are absolutely critical to address uh, low, work that's just, quite frankly, not paying what it needs to pay. Thanks a lot, Dave, for, for joining us. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it, Matt. All right, great. Take care. So before we go, we want to make sure, do a quick talk around about any other topics. There was one other issue I definitely would like to get uh, folks' response to. We've talked about this in the past related to health care, and uh, that has to do with walkers fighting the implementation of the Affordable Care Act. And this week, the Obama administration sent out uh, letters to, uh, to all the states encouraging them that they need to use their authority under the Affordable Care Act to challenge the rates that the insurance companies are charging. Um, and as we know, and Robert has talked about this, Governor Walker has refused, his administration has refused to challenge any of the rates so far in the Affordable Care Act. And so we have uh, Obama calling this week that this is a necessity, it's part of the act, and we absolutely need these states to, to rein in some of the premiums that are excessive. Wait, wait, I'm sorry, Matt, you're asking the presidential candidate, Scott Walker, to challenge his campaign contributors? I'm super confused exactly why you would be so absurd. You misunderstand. And the point of the office of the Commissioner of Insurance, <laughs> right? the Walker administration, that is, it's insurance, protect insurance companies. So 
ensure a Walker presidency. Hold on, before, be, wait, before Robert goes, Jen, do you got any jokes you want to tell right now? <laughs> Gee, I'm pausing for Jen jokes, okay. I, I, I think just the idea that Walker would challenge anybody, uh, much less an insurance company, is, is pretty big. I mean, protesters, yes, you can definitely take on 100,000 protesters. Well, but, very brave, you know, yes. Not corporations. Just to be clear, uh, the state of Wisconsin gets money from the Affordable Care Act in order to review rates and has yet to find one since 2011 to be excessive, any rate submission. Isn't that amazing? It's our Lake Wobegon insurance companies here in Wisconsin. Uh, they're all above average. Uh, but further, there's a lot of talk, and we have raised the alarm bells here in Wisconsin, of large rate increases in 2016. There are rate increases in the 30% range by some companies. And uh, there's national research that shows very clearly that these rate increases nationally are not justified by underlying costs. And so the only way to get at that is to challenge these insurance companies and make them justify their rates. And in Wisconsin, Walker won't do it. In Minnesota, they do it. And that's one of the reasons their rates, are, their premiums, co-pays, and deductibles are lower. And one of the things that has been cited is they expect that the there was a glut, not expect that there was a glut in backup sort of health care that was needed when folks first got care who hadn't had care for years. And they believe that some of that backup is kind of going away. And so we should not continue to see some of the spikes and actually uh, we should see in some of words, that going down. Mostly and, and healthier people did not sign up and therefore they'll be that moving forward. Uh, in, in, enrollment increases will be less expensive for the insurance companies. Correct. And and so that's one of the reasons why they believe that uh, these rates ought to be challenged. So we'll, we'll have to watch. We don't expect much from Walker, but it's important to point out, that, you know, especially if Wisconsin's rates are unchallenged and Minnesota does challenge, we will, we'll, we'll continue to watch here for the differences in the rates, which will be announced because we have the exchange opens up in November. Correct, Robert? Yes, November 1st, we'll be talking a lot more about that open enrollment again, yes. So, any other issues our panelists definitely want to talk about? Oh, yes. Oh, I am sorry. One other thing that we do have to talk about, Walker, is his insane proposals around how to handle the Iran situation, uh, namely that we ought to be bombing them on day one. Robert, I know you, uh, you've been tracking this craziness. And I'll be doing an op-ed on this, which I did find time to finish. Uh so people probably know, just to give a little context, that Governor Walker has been under scrutiny, surprise, surprise, for not knowing anything about foreign policy. And so, and he made some statements that got him in a little trouble, such as comparing, as Matt already said earlier, I think it was Matt, uh, comparing uh, the protesters in 2011 to ISIS uh, and saying that, uh, saying that the Soviet Union collapsed in part because of the fear invoked by President Reagan breaking the air traffic, traffic controllers union, not making that up. Uh, and so Walker's been sent to boot camp uh, to learn about foreign policy, uh, very reminiscent of Sarah Palin's foreign policy boot camps where they had maps out and, you know, which leader... Showed her where Russia was. Exactly, which leaders associated with which uh, country, et cetera, et cetera. So he's been getting constant briefings almost daily as part of the boot camp and has hired all sorts of foreign policy advisors. So I would theorize that his hard, crazy, aggressive right stance, which is attack all the terrorists where they are already before they attack us, uh, is partly to try to overcome this lack of experience. If you're really, really tough, then you must know what you're doing, right? Because he's definitive and he's strong. And part of that has been on the Iran deal, where he not only has promised to cancel the agreement on day, day one uh, without having any 
Department of Defense uh, Secretary or Secretary of State or anything like that, right? Or even a, a, even having had an intelligence briefing on what's going on, right? And he's been attacked by Jeb Bush of all people for that, who sees it as an immature and adolescent position. But he's pushed back and doubled down this week and said not only might he have to cancel, would he cancel the agreement, he might well take military action on day one. So apparently, he, bombs would, he away. wouldn't want anybody who wouldn't be willing to take uh, military action on day one. So and they wouldn't want someone unwilling to do that. And furthermore, apparently, there won't be a need to be a declaration of war or congressional action, reminiscent of Wisconsin this way, too, right? Because there's no congressional authorization to attack Iran, there's no state of war. There's no nothing. Uh, so, but as I say, the point here is to take this crazy belligerent stance in order to make it show like you have foreign policy cred, right, on the street. But it's really, it makes it even scarier to imagine a Walker presidency because one thing we can say about Governor Walker is once he paints himself in a corner, he follows through, doesn't he? <laughs> Double down corner. Well, so with that, it is a summer weekend and, uh, we we need to find out what people are doing, uh, Jen. I think you you have a trip uh, to Cleveland, if I'm correct. But uh, what are you doing this weekend? You are correct. Not just me, but my entire family, my kids, my husband, and 35 other uh, powerful Wisconsinites are on our way down to Cleveland for the Movement for Black Lives convening. It's going to be an incredible weekend of uh, strategy, healing. Um, you know, coming together to really put together the agenda that we want to move forward with as, as um, folks who make up part of the black diaspora. And there are folks from, you know, all over the world coming in, plus all over the country, civil rights leaders and heroes, as well as, uh, you know, really unaffiliated uh, local activists who emerged out of the context of our time. So I'm expecting an incredibly transformational weekend, and I'm Really, just want to say thank you to everybody on the team and, and the movement for at the movement for Black Lives for putting this incredible opportunity together for for everyone around the country. Well, it sounds like a great weekend, and uh, we look forward to hearing more about that next week. Jorna, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, I will be with you, Matt, and no, with you, Robert. No, no, you won't. No, you at, won't. Actually, we will be beating Team Big oh. Labor on Wheels. Team Big Booty will be beating Team <laughs> Big Labor on Wheels in the River West 24, and we are so excited. That's probably true. That's probably true. Robert, what are you doing this weekend, huh? I hear you're Same riding a thing. bike. It's River West 24 weekend, and we're... We're very concerned about the uh, preparations of Matt Brusky in terms of physical fitness. You should of be. Of course, yeah. You should be deeply concerned. I have but, not, my butt hasn't seen a bike in like a month. No, in about three weeks, unfortunately. But we, my brother Ted has joined the team, so he Will, will he Ted has be a, getting the tattoo? He has a greater level of preparation. No, I think... Um, Connor I, I Spurry, I Connor believe, Spurry is, will is, be is yeah. tattoo. Yeah, I want to see tattoo. Theodore with a tattoo. Yeah. So as <laughs> as the other two uh, have mentioned, it's River West 24 weekend, which is a 24 hour bike race, community bike race. No sponsors, no nothing. Uh, totally awesome. Yeah, it's a great time, and so uh, we're very much uh, looking forward to that. Doing For that those this weekend. In the Milwaukee area, check. Point two this, that's is the, the hangout of both. What is the name of the Jorna team? Team Big Booty. Team Big, <laughs> big Booty and Big Labor on Wheels yeah. hang out at Checkpoint. Well, I'm definitely keeping up the big part of the Labor on Wheels. 
So very much looking forward to that. And then uh, also a Saturday night after exhausting bike race, I'll be with my son at Beaver Cycle in da- uh, up in uh, the Brown Deer area. Not Brown Deer, what am I saying? Beaver Dam. Beaver Dam area with some short track racing. Do want to mention this past weekend... Um, had uh, quite a quite an opportunity for anyone who follows and knows anything about uh, dirt track racing. Uh, my son got to race at the Peoria TT this Sunday, which is a historic uh, track, and he even got to crash at the Peoria TT like many others. So we had quite an experience. Uh, so uh, just wanted to let everybody know uh, what we did last weekend. So with that, I hope he has a high quality helmet. He does. He has a beautiful Arai helmet. Thank you, Aaron Frank. Uh, With that, we're going to bring this podcast to a close, and we will see everybody, including our producer, who's nodding his head. He's heard enough. Uh, Brian Woolridge. We'll see you next week here at the Battleground, Wisconsin.